Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, the US and Iran pull back from the brink. Our missiles are big, powerful, accurate, lethal and fast. Labour's leadership contest officially begins. Keir Starmer lives in North London, but Keir Starmer grew up in a town outside of London. And Westminster steals itself for another year of Brexit debate. Zero quota, zero tariffs, zero dumping. Means level playing field. Clear level playing field on both sides. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hey Paul. We've also got Rachel Wearmouth with us. Hello. And we're glad to be joined by the senior Labour MP Rachel Reeves. Thank you very much. Hi, how are you Rachel? I'm very good. Good. Nice to be here. Good, good. Well, rising tensions between the United States and Iran thankfully appear to be calming after Donald Trump ordered the assassination of top Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. The incident has provoked a fierce debate here about how the UK deals with Trump's America after Brexit. Jeremy Corbyn is unsurprisingly very unhappy with the US, while Boris Johnson says Soleimani has British blood on his hands. Here they are clashing at Prime Minister's questions. The has said that it's sympathetic to the assassination of General Soleimani. What evidence has the Prime Minister got to suggest that this attack on him and his death was not an illegal act by the United States? Well, Mr Speaker, clearly the... Uh, the strict issue of legality is not for the UK to determine, since it was not our operation. But I think that uh, most reasonable people would accept that the United States has a right to protect its bases and its, and its personnel. And I would remind the House that the individual concerned, Qasem Soleimani, was not only, was not only responsible for many years, uh, amongst other things, arming the Houthis with missiles with which they uh, attacked innocent civilians, arming Hezbollah with missiles which, again, they used to attack innocent civilians, sustaining the Assad regime in Syria, one of the most brutal and barbaric regimes in the world, and, of course, supplying uh, improvised explosive devices to terrorists who, I'm afraid, killed and maimed British troops. That man had the blood of British troops on his hands. Paul, how do you think Johnson's played this? Well, I hate to say it, but actually it's a really, really difficult tightrope to walk between, on the one hand, trying to satisfy the United States, and on the other, prove that you're really part of the European defence and sort of diplomatic sort of strategy. So it's a great, great triumph, that deal being hammered out in the first place under Obama. Uh, but what's happened, obviously, Obama's no longer there. So Johnson clearly thinks, and it's not just about trade with Trump after Brexit, he clearly wants to build some sort of strong alliance with Trump. And as because of that, he's had to sort of tack a bit more towards, in a way that Britain has never tacked on this whole issue of Iran. You know, the foreign officers have got a very firm line, you know, this deal's a really good deal, George Orwell's miles better than World War, we've been through all that. Um, 
And so what I find curious today, I was at a lobby briefing, and number 10 said the PM had had a chat with the Iranian president, Rouhani. And we said, well, what did he say? And they said, actually, the prime minister made absolutely clear his firm commitment to the JCPOA, which is the nuclear proliferation deal. And I said, well, how can he say he's absolutely committed to it when last you know, autumn, when he was in New York in the UN General Assembly, our own prime minister for the first time said, well, it's a bad deal. And he sounded exactly like Trump. And he, said, and he said, there's no better negotiator in the business than Donald Trump. And if we're going to get a new deal, it's got to come through Donald Trump. And he's thinking, whoa. So that's then. And he continued that through to, to this week. But at the same time, he's saying, actually, we're committed to this deal. It just shows that actually Boris still thinks he can have his cake and eat it, not just on Brexit, but on everything and on foreign affairs as well. And I think that's, you know, at, at some point, you might have to just choose a side. But at the moment, to his credit, he somehow managed to sort of walk that tightrope without falling off. Yeah, Rachel Reeves, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's been criticised for being too critical of the US and not critical enough of Soleimani and Iran. Do you think Corbyn's kind of anti-Americanism has been a problem for Labour and is that going to be an issue going forward after the last few years? Well, I think the most important thing now is to try and de-escalate. And certainly Trump's remarks um, in, the, in the last um, last couple of days have started to reduce the, the, the tensions. And that's a, that's a good thing. And uh, I would agree with Paul that the statement from Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel and our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, I think, contributed to that, you know, trying to focus minds on, you know, how can we ensure that this doesn't escalate into um, a um, a world war, and I think that should be everyone's priority, including the opposition's priority. Uh, now, we weren't the British government weren't given information about uh, the assassination before it, it took place, and that put the British government in, in a difficult position because it wasn't theirs to, to, to sign off, which is sort of the point that Boris Johnson made to, to Jeremy Corbyn in the Commons um, yesterday. The Labour Party is going to have a new leader uh, in April, and it'll be up to the new leader to you know forge a future for for, for, for our party uh, including our relationships with our, our allies overseas including the United um, United States the problem is that you know Jeremy Corbyn has made a career hasn't he always life out of foreign policy it's his big it's his baby that's what he loves talking about and the danger for the Labour Party is in recent years, and maybe this was reflected in the general election result, who knows, but maybe that lack of connection with working class voters who actually think, well, our boys are over there, they're out, you know, these are working class kids who are serving overseas, um, what are you going to say about them? Um, are you on our side or not? And it's the whole patriotism thing kicks in off the back of Prime Minister's questions. We're often briefed after Prime Minister's questions by uh, a guy who we can now talk of as, as Shane Musmill because he's on his way out, who's a, who's a communications director. <laughs> for Jeremy Corbyn and he is even more focused on this whole issue so he will brief even stronger stuff after Prime Minister's questions and say as he did this week and he said well actually you know um, this was a Soleimani uh, this was a senior member of a government a sovereign government and you know whatever he's done inside or outside Iran in the past is irrelevant and you're thinking hold on a sec that's that's kind of not the sort of thing that previous Labour leaders would have said. They, they really just wouldn't. They would have made the case, look, you, you've got to meet legal tests. Obviously, you can't go around assassinate everyone. Fine. But they would have also said, look, this guy was a wrong one. You know, he, he's a destabilising force inside and outside Iran. And, 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 you know, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, Emily Thornberry, has yeah. become a very 
different line from what you've just attributed exactly. to Seamus Mill. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, Jeremy Corbyn is not going to be leader in a few months' time. Seamus yeah. Mill is not going to be there yeah. in a few months' time. The Labour Party is, is changing, yeah. and part of that change is about reconnecting with those people who have left us for a variety of reasons, you know, partly um, because of, 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 of the, the not believing in our manifesto and the commitments, the economic commitments, but also, as you say, about sort of a, a patriotism, um, where we stand in the world, who our friends are uh, and, and who our enemies are. And, uh, and, and, you know, a new leader needs, needs to reposition the Labour Party. Uh, it, 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 back to the party that we were under, Clement Attlee and Harold Wilson and indeed Tony Blair and, 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 and Gordon Brown, where, you know, we, we were much clearer about who side we were on. The joke on. could be, you know, at the moment, Jeremy Corbyn sounds like he's saying, Fuller Soleimani, not the few. I mean, you know, <laughs> that, that's the kind of, that's the problem, isn't it? Did you just yeah. make that up? <laughs> <laughs> <What's> <laughs> <on my head? laughs> Should have yeah. used it as a headline. Rachel Wearmouth, do you think this is going to be an issue in the Labour leadership election, foreign, foreign affairs? Foreign affairs, yeah. Well, I think when you ask sort of anybody who knocked on doors during the, the general election, they would say that Corbyn's record on foreign affairs, his views has come up. Uh, a lot of them said, like, Brexit came up, well, the IRA came up more than Brexit. And um, that was a, like really damaging. But I guess it's really difficult now for the candidates for leadership to kind of talk to a membership that is very pro Corbyn and very stop, very very much of the stop the war kind of tradition of the party. That um, it'll be difficult for them to talk to Labour members and frame how Labour lost at the same time. So a bit, bit difficult for them to tread that line, I think. Well, yeah, the the battle to replace Jeremy Corbyn is well and truly underway with Keir Starmer the early front-runner ahead of so-called continuity Corbyn candidate Rebecca Long-Bailey who's had a bit of a difficult week. Here she is. I thought Jeremy was one of the most honest, kind, principled politicians that I ever met. And well I'd give him 10 out of 10 because I respect him and I supported him all the way through. So what, what we, we well what we can't ignore is that Jeremy was absolutely savaged by the press. His character was taken to pieces from day 1. And we have a role as a party to develop the image of our leader and to put them forward in the most positive way. But we also have a duty as a Labour movement to rebut criticisms and attacks against our leader when those happen. And I think we needed to have a, a rebuttal unit, a very clear structure in place to rebut the attacks that were made against him. Paul, Starmer's miles ahead. Is he going to win? Well, he's miles ahead with MPs, but as we all know, this is not all just about MPs, is it? Um, polls as well. Uh, polls. Yeah, in the polls with, amongst members, that's true. He looks like he's got a decent lead. I think there's been a couple of polls. I think the people on his team are quite nervous about those polls, obviously, because it makes them look like the front-runner when they think that Long Bailey is obviously the left's front-runner um, with momentum, all that power. They, you know, they don't forget the digital campaigning of momentum is quite effective. These people might not turn up to branch meetings. They might not turn up actually even to canvas on the doorstep and, and stuff leaflets. I don't know about um, in Rachel's constituency we could talk about that. But, you know, they are digital activists, and all it takes is a click of the button to vote for leader. Uh, and if they get a message, constant message from the, from Momentum's HQ, and John Lansman is the director of Bailey's, Long Bailey's campaign, that could be quite powerful. The big question, though, is, and that those polls have showed it, is whether or not, even if you're a Corbyn sympathiser, you, just what you think about the whole agenda. You, were you so so hammered by by, you know, 10 o'clock on on December the 12th that you thought, whoa, hold on a tick, we've got to do something different? And that's that. That's the big question about it because. You know, I remember talking to Liz Kendall, 
during the 2015 leadership race, and we just had chaired a hustings, and Corbyn was on one side, and you know the other three were there. And I, I remember the whole event really surprised me because Corbyn got all the clap, all the applause. There's no question. It was a real eye opener. There's these three experienced politicians, Corbyn, and they wanted something different. The members and Liz said to me afterwards. She said, "You know, they're just not ready for it. And it's like I'm banging him over, hit him over the head with the message: you've got to go back to to what wins his elections. This is in 2015. Don't forget. And they were then thinking, "Oh, don't hit us over the head. We're in 2020." And this week, someone said to me who was close to Keir Starmer's campaign, saying, you know, on the night of that election, a lot of Labour members just wanted to put the duvet over the head and, and shout, you know, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. So well, it's, it's hmm. difficult. What are they now going to do? Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, one of my members who, you know, she is a real campaigner, a real worker, she voted for Jeremy Corbyn um, in 2015 and, and 2016. And she said that on Friday, the 13th of December, she just couldn't stop crying. Uh, and she knows that Labour need to do something different because, you know, she desperately wants and needs a Labour government. And, and she, you know, she likes some of the things that Jeremy has done and some of the issues that he's put on the table, which perhaps had been neglected um, previously. But she also knows that we can't achieve anything unless we're in power. And, you know, frankly, we have let down the people we came into politics to serve by losing four elections, this one, by the worst margin since 1931. And, you know, if we're not going to take this opportunity to ask ourselves some deep questions about whether actually we want to be a protest group or a party of government, then, you know, we're not going to, 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 to govern again. This is the moment, really, for the Labour Party to decide what sort of political party we are, and I think that there are many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of members who are desperate to have a Labour government again, and and will look to see which of the candidates can deliver that, and and I think that gives me hope for the for the future because I've been an MP now for almost ten years. I spent all of those in opposition, yeah, and yeah, you know, at the margins, I can I can do things to make lives a bit better for for, for people. Uh, I can write to the NHS Hospital Trust. I can write to the, the Department for Work and Pensions. I, I can get results sometimes for constituents, but it's all at the margins. Yeah, uh, unless it's like you're your Labour social government. work almost, isn't it? Yeah. And unless you're unless, you, unless you're in government, you can't make the big changes, put the investment into the schools and hospitals, reform the the, the, the welfare state. You know, those big changes that we need to see to to make society, the economy, politics work better for people and. I think most Labour Party members, you know, they're ready. They're ready to, 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 to make that decision this time to elect a leader. And to, 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 it's not just about the leader. It's about the, the, the set of policies and the organisation around it. Listening, genuinely listening, not to, you know, the ideologues and the people who you already agree with, but the people, the country. You know, not to say, you know, the people are wrong, but to say, we've got it wrong, we need to change. Um, Rachel, got to check. Are you running? I'm, I'm no, I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yes, I'm not. I didn't come on this uh, podcast to announce that. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> uh, who are you supporting and why? Well, I haven't nominated um, yet. I went to the leadership and the deputy leadership um, hustings this week, and I will put in my um, nomination on, on, on Monday once I've had um, enough time to think about it. But. I think, for me, um, my choice will will be about who I think can uh, 
best communicate at, with the people who we need to win back to, to form a government and also somebody who can cut through and be and be bold and I think for me that person is probably Jess Phillips uh, because I think she does have that ability to connect with people and connect with people who might not always engage in politics and, and might not always vote Labour but you know at that hustings uh, Lisa Nandy's analysis of, of why we lost those those seats in Northern England, particularly in our, our towns, was spot on. And Keir Starmer is clearly, you know, uh, he would be able to settle into that role, do an incredibly good job. He was very clear and very credible about what he would want to achieve. And all three of them spoke about being not just the next Labour leader, but the next Labour Prime Minister. And that's what I'm looking for, somebody who could be the next Labour Prime Minister. Uh, being the leader of the opposition is, I think Neil Kinnock once said he wouldn't wish that job on his worst enemy. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't know why anyone would ever want to do it. Um, it's a really tough job, but looking beyond that, of who can win an election and, and lead our country, that's how I'll be deciding my vote. And were you tempted to run, Rachel, at all, ever? I mean, did you think... No, no, no. Or even for deputy, you know? No, but, um, you know, I, I, I hope that um, whoever the new leader is will bring in um, a team of people from across the party, from across the Parliamentary Labour Party, a depleted Parliamentary Labour Party, and bring back some of the talent that is on the back benches and you know people like there aren't very many people now actually on the Labour benches who have experience of government people like Hilary Benn and Yvette Cooper who have served under Labour governments and now chairing select committees uh, incredibly intelligent well-respected people we need that talent on the front bench because a leader is just one person if you think about Labour governments in the past whether it's Attlee, Wilson or, or Blair it's not just that one person. Clement Attlee had um, Bevan, Bevin, um, uh, Herbert Morrison, Wilson, yeah. a huge range of people. Uh, Harold Wilson had people from across the party. He had in his uh, cabinet Roy Jenkins and, and Tony Benn, um, Barbara Castle and Dennis Healy. Um, when Tony Blair became Prime Minister in 1997, there was John Prescott, there was Mo Molan, there was Robin Cook, there was Michael Meacher, uh, there was Margaret Beckett, Claire Short. You know, there was huge talent there from across the party. And that's what the next leader needs to do, because winning the leadership contest on the 4th of April, whenever it is, you know, that is just the first step on a long and hard road back to power for Labour. And they're going to need the best people um, around And maybe them. people who've also had experience of doing other things in life. I mean, Keir Starmer is one. But, I mean, you used to work for Bank of England. You know, you've seen a Treasury... Oh, you're pointing at me, then. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh, no. <laughs> um, Treasury committee's select committee chairwoman. I mean, you know... Biz, 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 Sorry, business, Biz, business, Biz. Yeah. But, you know... You obviously have got a lot of experience in the Labour Party and outside Labour Party. What if someone said to you, you know, about shallow business, would you go for it or shallow chancellor? I'd, I'd be back, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I'm ready to serve. I would like to, to, to serve. And, um, you know, and I said that to, to the leadership candidates. And, um, you know, I hope to get that, that opportunity again to, to help the Labour Party back to, back to power, back to transforming lives. It does seem strange for the last few years, doesn't it? You've had these really talented people, but they're not in the shadow cabinet. They're all, they've all effectively been exiled to, to select committee. And this people. needs to be, you know, turning a page in Labour's history. You know, we need a, a leader that can connect with not just the seats we lost in this election, but the seats we lost in 2010, 2015 and 2017. And now the huge number of seats we lost in, in 2019. 
19, particularly in the north of England and, and, and in the Midlands and, and in Scotland uh, and Wales as well. So somebody who can do that and somebody who can build a team of advisers, but also of a shadow cabinet and a shadow ministerial team that the country can look to and think, well, actually, they're up to the job. They can run the country and I think they'll do it an awful lot better than this lot are in power at the moment. And we've got four or five years to prove that to the country, that we're ready for power again, that we understand the message that they've sent to us now on four occasions that we're not the party that they want to govern us uh, and, 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 and that we can make those changes to, to win that support back. It must have been frustrating for you to watch waste of talent over the last few years, a lot of it being on the back benches. Is there anybody that you wouldn't pick the phone up to that's currently standing? No, I mean, look, I, I said after the 2017 election that, you know, I would be, I would serve. Uh, I've never been asked um, to, to, to serve in the last um, f four years. Uh, and, and, no, and I would, because I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm a Labour MP, there's only 203 of, of us mm -hmm. um, now. Everybody's got to do their bit and to, to contribute in whatever way they can. Uh, and I, I don't feel over the last four years that I've been, you know, sitting there sort of, you know, twiddling my thumbs or whatever. You know, I've chaired the select committee. I've held the government to account on the collapse of Carillion and on Thomas Cook on energy prices, uh, you know, in a whole range of areas. Uh, and I've also been doing, I hope, some of the sort of serious economic thinking for a new political economy for, for the Labour Party and for the new leader. So I, I hope that, um, you know, the work that I've done in, 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 in opposition on the back benches has been constructive and will help whoever the, the next leader is. Do you think the left of the party has, has, has got a message about now being the time well, we're to all unify. on the left I mean this is what really annoys me you know I am left-wing that's why I am in the Labour Party I joined the Labour Party because I hated what the Conservatives were doing to our country in the 80s and, and 90s uh, if I was right-wing I would have joined the Conservative Party I am on the left uh, and you know how do you define all these things you know I, you know, I believe in, in public services. I believe in a strong welfare state. I believe in good jobs that pay, pay a decent uh, wage. You know, my philosophy, my ideology is, is, is on the left. Uh, you know, but I want to listen to the country and I want to be in, in government. I want to build a broad church. And I don't think I've got a monopoly mm -hmm. on, the, on the truth. I'm willing to listen. Is there any particular role you'd look for, I suppose, related to your... Business well, that would be up to the, the to, to to a leader to, to decide how he or she wanted to, you know, allocate um, positions and you know all the jobs that I've had in in, in Parliament have been in the economic briefs, yes. shadow chief secretary, shadow work and pensions, etc. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And things got pretty weird in the leadership contest last night, didn't they, Rachel? Uh, yeah, that's a bit of an understatement, yeah. Um, Barry Gardner is now about to enter the, the Labour leadership race, um, a bit of a bolt from the blue for pretty much everybody, it seems, yeah, um, and he's, particularly as he's in Abu Dhabi at the moment, but yeah, yeah um, so yeah, he'd be the seventh person to enter, so it'd be a pretty large contest and now. He didn't seem to know very much about what was going on well, did well, he? well, he did, <laughs> um, as well, I did understand it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the really interesting things that came out of that story was that um, Len McCluskey does not seem to know who he wants to back. And I know he is furiously denying at the moment that he had any conversation with Barry Gardner about asking him to stand, but that certainly wasn't my understanding um, when I was writing the story. Uh, what do you think Len is doing? 
Well, the, the first I knew about it was uh, yesterday, late afternoon, in the tea room, where my colleague Kat McKinnell <laughs> walked in and, uh, uh, and said, I have news. Uh, Harry and Meghan are standing down and Barry Gardner is standing up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we all went on our phones and uh, <laughs> read your story. Uh, so um, who knows? Who knows? There's obviously some um, um, internal difficulties. Mm about who is best placed to take forward the, the Corbyn, the Unite Momentum mm. uh, project. And, you know, I, Ian Lavery, of course, was spoken about. Um, Rebecca Long-Bailey ha has declared. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why they don't seem to be happy w with, with her and why they're yeah. looking around for... For, for, for somebody else because yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of well, with a lot of the online followers you know the outriders they're kind of casting around not quite sure who to to get behind it's quite chaotic but it, it does look like that yeah. and you know Rebecca Long Bailey has declared it's obvious for a long time that she's you yeah. know wanted this job and has been you know encouraged to, to stand for it yeah. and you know she must be feeling you know pretty isolated now the, mm. the people who are supposed to be her key backers like Len McCluskey mm. now seem to be looking for someone else either they don't think she can win or they don't like what she's said so far uh, that must be pretty or they don't like who's on her team mm. That in other words, she's not invited certain people onto her oh, team. I see. Right. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. Not it must be names. very demoralising and destabilising mm. um, for, for for her to, mm. to be in that in that position. Mm. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? Do you feel now since election are actually slightly more liberated to actually talk about the the over influence perhaps of Len McCluskey and his wing of the party and momentum do you feel like well obviously you know during the election campaign I was working incredibly hard to to hold my seat but also I was campaigning in Pudsey in Morley and Outward in Leeds Northwest in, in Wakefield where we lost my colleague um, Mary Cray um, so you know, you are you are sticking to the, to the message you're trying to persuade people that despite their doubts the considerable doubts about Jeremy Corbyn, about the manifesto, about Brexit as well, to stick with Labour. Uh, and you have to, you just have to hold on to, on to those arguments, don't you, until, until the polls have closed. Um, but when the polls are closed, you've got to reflect on those conversations and what you've heard from people over the last, you know, several weeks, several years, to be honest, but certainly during the course of the campaign. Now, you know, I'm still here I'm still a member of, of Parliament but you know some of my closest friends who I worked with people on my select committee like Anna Turley in Redcar, Vernon Coker in, in Gedling, Emma Reynolds in Wolverhampton who I entered Parliament with in, in 2010 you know seats that you know are sort of synonymous with, with, with Labour uh, and where you had incredibly hard-working um, MPs and are now lost, and you know, in the region in, in, in West Yorkshire where I am, you know, Wakefield, uh, uh, Dewsbury, Keithley, you know, now Conservative seats again. And it's incumbent on those of us who have been returned to Parliament to, to, to say this is where things went wrong, this is why we are now 203 of us rather than you know, the 320 something that we would need to form a, a government. And 
you know, if we sort of say, you know, all was fine, one more heave and everything, you know, we'll be back in government. And, you know, if only we had a better media, uh, Huffington Post uh, <laughs> accepted, uh, if only we had a better media, if only the electorate properly understood uh, that everything would be OK. Uh, we could carry down that route, fine. Well, next time we'll have 100 of us. Yeah. And I'm not willing to allow that to happen. And so you've got to speak out the truth as, as, as you see it and what you've heard. And I'm, I'm not repeating what I said to myself. I'm repeating what people said to me time and time again on the doorstep, that they had voted Labour all their life, that their father and grandfather would turn in their graves, uh, but they just couldn't vote Labour this time. I had people who... I, you met on the doorstep and you're like, oh, we've met before, yes, you helped me, um, my hospital operation was cancelled and you got it sorted. And I went, oh, can I rely on your support on, the, on Thursday? And I said, I'm so sorry, Rachel, I think you're an excellent MP, but I can't vote Labour this time because of Jeremy Corbyn. And it is heartbreaking. And, of course, you try and reassure those people about myself, about the Labour Party, about Jeremy, but it... For far too many people, it just didn't work. And that is why my majority is 6,000 down, but who cares about that? The point is, we have lost dozens of fantastic colleagues. And what does that mean? It means that those people no longer have a Labour MP to represent them. It means that we're going to lose every vote in Parliament by 80 or 90 votes over the next five years. And it means that people who were relying on Labour, looking to Labour for, for hope and a better future, aren't going to get that. And you think... Like, We've got to be honest about it. The, the economy is your strong point. I mean, you were really outspoken at that PLP meeting. You were expressing your anger about all your colleagues who'd, who'd been defeated, as you say, and a lot of them are friends. Do you think that actually it was economically illiterate then, Labour's prospectus well, it, of the public? It, it didn't add up. I mean, that's a big part of the problem. You know, we published a manifesto and then we published um, the, 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 the costings and how we were going to pay for it, and then we kept on making announcements that weren't in the manifesto. Mm. And so how were we going to pay for those ones? You know, contingency funds? Or, you know, there's not the money in the contingency funds. The contingency funds are for you know, natural disasters and, and, and wars, not for manifesto pledges. And so those pledges that were made after the manifesto were not included in the costings. And even some of the costings in the manifesto were, were quite heroic. Uh, and people didn't... <laughs> People didn't believe it. And the problem is, the more announcements we made, the less credible all of them became. Yeah. And so every day when we were getting our candidates' updates with free broadband, uh, WASPy women, yeah. train fare reductions, uh, nationalisations, it was just too much yeah. to, to absorb and too much to believe that this was all going to be possible. And... and, and you know, in my constituency, a lot of people would have benefited directly from some of the policies we spoke about. And yet even they didn't believe that we were going to achieve those things or that the cost of doing so was too high. And, you know, for people who have got a bit but not much, they don't want to put that at risk. Yeah. And that's what I found time and time again on the, on the doorstep. And you've got to have... You know, I want radical policies. You know, this country needs a big change, big transformation. But you've got to show that it's credible and that you can achieve it because, you know, otherwise 
well, I think I said in an article in the Yorkshire Post, it's like, you know, saying to all your friends in the pub, you know, can I buy you a drink? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it'd be great. Thank you, Rachel. Go into the bar and just say, oh, sorry, Paul, I haven't actually got any money. <laughs> uh, and suddenly that promise to buy you a drink doesn't actually sound so good. Uh, and, and, I've and never that, done that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't where I thought of the analogy. Um, but, and that, but that's sort of part of the problem. People just didn't believe you were going to be able to deliver on the promises that you, that, that you made. And that was a big part. That was a big part of the problem. There were other problems as well, but that is the, the theme of, of the conversations I was having. Not just in Leeds West, mm. where I spent you know a huge amount of time chatting to people, but in some of those marginal seats as as well. And you know, we owe it to the country to be honest. And you know, if we just sort of carry on in the same vein that we've been going in in the last um, few years, then the public are going to say you know, well, if you're not willing to listen to us, then we'll stick with the Tories or with the Lib Dems or we'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. We're now just 22 days away from Brexit with Boris Johnson's exit deal sailing through the Commons with little trouble. But new European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen was here this week to meet the Prime Minister and warned of a potentially rocky year ahead. Here she is. The transition time. It is very, very tight. Um, and uh, I briefly touched on the topics we have to negotiate, and this was not even the whole list of it. So it is basically impossible to negotiate all of what I've been mentioning and the other dossiers that uh, are there too. Therefore, we will have to prioritize as long as we face that deadline of end of 20. 20. Uh, I just wanted to ask you all where you think the key Brexit battles will be fought this year. Well, the big issue really is going to be the, the, the future relationship. So, you know, we, we will be passing the, 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 the legislation. I'll be voting against it, but it will be passed in the, in the Commons. Um, uh, uh, but then... That's just the divorce settlement. What is our future relationship going to look like? What access uh, will we have uh, to, the, to the single market? What, uh, what, what, what tariffs and, and quotas, what customs checks will there be? And, and you know, that's all to be uh, um, debated and, and haggled over in, in pretty short time uh, because the, the transition period is not a long one. So that, I mean, that's really, they're going to be the key parameters. But it's quite interesting in the last month since, since the election to see already the government backtracking on commitments that were made previously. So on enshrining workers' rights in the, um, in the EU withdrawal uh, legislation that went that went um, pretty quickly, and now just this week, um, uh, um, reneging on that commitment to, uh, to, to to protect the rights of, of, of child refugees. You know something is deeply deplorable in in my mind, and that uh, the, the Labour Party and, and others have spoken out um, against. And so you know, as, as soon as the rosettes have come off, the 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 the, the, the veneer, I guess, has sort of uh, has been shattered. Uh, so the, the Tories are already going back on those commitments that they made before the election and, and sort of showing their true colours, I would say. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not there's going to be basically a series of mini-sectoral deals rather than a comprehensive trade deal. Because it sounds like... I mean, Ursula von der Leyen, I mean, she was brilliant yesterday. She's an LSE, former LSE student. She, she loved Britain. She loved Bon Britain in, in that little speech. It was fantastic. I and mean, it was a big, real change with Juncker, I've got to say. And the fact, and the fact that she was sober obviously helped. But... Um, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> and, but well, the, she didn't try and stroke any... Uh, yeah, she didn't stroke anyone's hair. 
either. Lovely. But she was, she was saying, you know, I, I love going to Soho bars and Camden nightclubs rather than the university library, all that stuff. And I love the British sense of humour. But she's sort of basically, she's got to reckon with Boris Johnson uh, having a majority of 80, uh, which is brand new territory for the EU. They've got to have they've got to recognise that he can basically do what he wants. He's in a much stronger negotiating position than Theresa May ever was. So if he bangs the table, they're going to have to listen. And I think that's what's interesting. She was basically saying, look, we're just not going to have enough time. It's not realistic to do this in this time frame. Um, and if you're going to not extend, then you're not going to get everything you want. And I think that's the big question. What, what are we going to lose in the next 12 months if, as expected, Boris Johnson does want the symbolic commitment of saying we've, we're, we're no, no transition, we're out, that's it. Not just in January 31st, but also the end of this year, we're not going to continue to extend sort of some sort of membership of the EU. And, and then what sort of trade deal are we going to get? I don't know. I mean, there is this suggestion it's all semantics and we could have the next trade deal will have built in it some kind of further extension or that alignment will be different. But everything you're hearing from number 10, they're not bluffing. They don't want alignment. They want common standards, which basically we'll have our own standards, which just happen to be the same as them. But then when the EU changes their standards, what happens next? You know, if the car industry, suddenly there are some changes over there, and what happens to our car industry? Uh, I, I think it's all up in the air. Yeah. I think it would be very interesting to see what the new Blue Wall MPs do, do during this period as well. They've got a lot of manufacturing, a lot of industry in their constituencies. So what, kind of, what kind of pressure are they going to put on Boris Johnson? So kind of, they'll kind of be a force, I, I don't know, if you guys would start to team up with them? or. I think it will be interesting because now they represent you know, steel making, mm. coal manufacturing, um, uh, manufacturing in general, constituencies in, you know, in North Wales, the, the aerospace uh, industry. And so how will that change their priorities? Because you, know, you already saw it actually this week at, at Prime Minister's Questions with the new MP for Bishop Auckland asking mm. about her NHS. Okay, it's not a Brexit issue, uh, but you're going to have MPs with different priorities mm who are hearing different things on the doorstep from perhaps what Boris Johnson or Michael Gove or Jeremy Hunt here in their more prosperous, more leafy constituencies than what you might be getting in um, Rother Valley or, or Great Grimsby. Mm. So it will be interesting to see how that affects the priorities in terms of the negotiations because they're now got different people banging on their door from what they had before. But the interesting thing is, is some of those uh, blue wall constituencies are the most hardline Brexiteer MPs you've got. So it's not like these people have come in and, and they're sort of soft Brexiters or even Remainers. A lot of them are really hard. You know, you, you've got Simon Clark up in somewhere in the northeast. What's his seat? Teesside. I mean, you know, he's out and out there, you know, Freeport, yeah. free you know, ERG. And you're thinking, well, is that what your constituents want? Do they really want that full-blown hard Brexit? They might do. Um, and that's going to be the other interesting dynamic, I think. Are these new Blue Wall MPs, who, who are they going to represent? Are they going to represent their own view? Or are they going to represent some of the views of maybe of some of their workers um, who are saying, hold on a tick, that might not work for us? And this is, a, you know, it's going to be really important, as well as Labour rebuilding to be a party of government again, to hold the Conservatives to account on the decisions, the really important decisions they're going to be making over the next few months and the next few years on, on these things and, you know, speaking out when actually they're not representing the best interests of the, the people who they are newly representing in some of these constituencies. What should Labour argue for on Brexit? Jess Phillips suggested rejoining the EU could be an option. She quickly U-turned a lot there, didn't she? <laughs> I don't think that um, there's any appetite for rejoining the 
uh, the EU. I campaigned for Remain, I campaigned for um, a second referendum, but that, the time has passed now for that. Um, but I would like to see close alignment uh, to ensure that we can have that free and frictionless trade that has, that has benefited British uh, jobs and, and, and industry. And uh, you know, certainly when I chaired the, the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Select Committee in the last Parliament and visited manufacturing sites, car plants, uh, um, um, uh, chemical works, etc., they wanted that close alignment so they could do that trade. And the risk is if we, if we decouple too far, then some of those jobs that have been in this country will move, move overseas. And so I think it is important, that's been my priority, to ensure that, uh, that, that we can trade in a free and frictionless way. Cool. Right, it's time for the quiz. Yay, we love the quiz. You're very, very quick, and you should... Don't say you hate this, quizzes. Because it's all about Labour leadership elections. Oh. <laughs> so just chime in when, if you think you have We've the not answer. got to get the exact percentages of uh, Ned, no, Ned no. versus David, have we, and all that? No, D Ned, <laughs> Ned, Ned, our colleague, did suggest that, but I <laughs> left that out. In each round. <laughs> <laughs> um, question number one, who finished third in the 2010 Labour leadership contest? Ed Balls. Ed Balls. Correct. Yeah, she beat me to it. Went for Rachel Reeves. What did potential Labour leadership candidate Barry Gardner allegedly brush his teeth with for three days at party conference after forgetting his toothpaste? Wow. Uh, what, that's amazing. Know, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Which party conference was this? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, What's the answer? I think a fairly recent one. Wow. What did he brush, brush his, his teeth, teeth with? Let's have a guess. Uh, his fingers. Towel. Flannel. I think he had a toothbrush, but no toothbrush. Oh, oh, right. oh sorry. Yeah. I, thought I that think so. Uh, we're oh, not right. sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He didn't go to the shop. Chewing amazingly. gum. Soap. It's a soap. Yes, correct. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, apparently he emerged after three days at party. Foaming at the mouth. And, uh, and, well, <laughs> <laughs> and asked an aide to uh, uh, for some toothpaste because he'd been brushing his soap, his teeth with soap for three days because he didn't leave the conference zone for three days. Goodness me. Yeah. Wow. It was in a, in a piece by Marie Leconte, which has reappeared this oh, week. Oh, that's extraordinary. Uh, con confirmed by another couple of people, I think. Lovely. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final question. <laughs> <laughs> what did former aide to Tony Blair, John McTurnan, call MPs who backed Jeremy Corbyn? Morons. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, won the quiz. <laughs> well done, Rachel. That was that was back in yeah, 2015. I'm not often on the winning side, yeah. so it's, it's a nice feeling. <laughs> Take your victory. Oh, you're exactly. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me. And make sure you subscribe to Common to People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday. And be sure to get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. We'll just leave you with Labour Deputy Leadership Candidate Rosanna Allen Khan's idea for a new ministry. I think you've said to me that you'd like to create a new ministry. I, I would. What is this new ministry? It's the Ministry of Fabulosity. <laughs> and it's a, real, it's a real thing. Listen now, no naysaying or giggling. It's, it's a real ministry. It will have to be dominated by fabulous MPs and come out with fabulous policies to okay. shape the country. But to, you know, some very serious ones, but some lighter, more entertaining ones about how we see ourselves and um, some of the things that we can do as a nation to just put a bit of swing in our step. So what so. might these policies be? Have you got one in mind or...? Oh, right, well, if you're pressing me. <laughs> OK, if I must. For, so I think political debate, 
there is room for um, traditional political debate, and then sometimes there's room for a dance-off. Okay. Because you do sometimes you need to know how your political representatives can represent themselves in real life, right? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.